Welcome to the Go Big Redcast, the Husker Fan Sports Show with Dave, Honky, Mac, and Boomer. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast. I'm your host, David Gaspers, and I'm with Honky. Pac-12 has agreed to part ways with Commissioner Larry Scott, and I know a great candidate who would be the perfect for the job. There's even direct flights from West Coast to Chicago. Hmm. <laughs> You're not referring to Kevin Warren, our dear friend, right, Hunk? No, no, there's millions of people in Chicago that I could be referring to, Dave. Okay, okay, good, good, good. Um, also with Boomer. Sorry, guys, I'm a little distracted here. I'm just going through this uh, mystery Uber Eats delivery I just got from the uh, McDonald's on Cumberland Avenue in Knoxville. Uh, let me take a look at this here real quick. Huh. Well, uh, I'd just like to announce I'll be transferring to the uh, Go Big Rocky Top podcast. So uh, look forward to there going forward, guys. Uh, there's Bagman, and then there's Boomer Bagman. Uh, all right. I'm also with Mac. What's up, Redcasters? I won't keep you in suspense. Uh, bad news. We did drop our first game. Uh, in girls basketball, I knew we were in trouble when the other team ran plays. So, well, back to the drawing board. <laughs> How many points did Lucy score? She had all of them, uh, and we had eight. <laughs> <laughs> well, as a father, you have to be very proud of that. Mac. I was, but as a coach, I was, as a coach, yeah, pulling my hair out. You know, it's a learning experience for all of us. I'm, I'm trying to trust the process here. I, I really know what it feels like to be frost right now and instill a culture. It's <laughs> uh, a good point, Mac. You know, we actually ever had a chance to hear uh, Coach Frost tonight on Sports Nightly, right, Hockey? And uh, we got some insight on the season, the bowl game, special teams, bunch of stuff, right? Yeah, he really started to kind of lay out the next month or two, and actually all the way into May. May first is when they're planning to have the red white game. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of glad we waited tonight to record. We were going to do it the other night, and you know, we have a lot more information now because of this. To kind of put a bow on the on the end of last season, you know, he did mention that most of the team wanted to play in the bowl, but it wasn't consensus, and that you know he wouldn't normally do it this way. But in a COVID season, he allowed the team to make that decision, mm-hmm. and you know that's nothing different than what we've talked about over the course of the last month too. And you know they were tired, and he basically said they got done, and everyone went their own separate ways, and they had about four full weeks off. But but uh, now they're back on campus and and ready to get going again. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we're all kind of anxious to see us turn the corner on the pandemic and kind of spring balls is a, a part of that, right? It's great to see these guys possibly, you know, winter conditioning starting soon and, and um, a May Day red-white game. Um, anything else of, of note uh, that you learned from Frost tonight, Hunk? Yeah, so I mean, I guess this really, it starts to transition us into the winter conditioning period. And as you mentioned, Dave, uh, that starts here next week, Monday, January 25th, which is the first day of the semester on campus. And uh, that will give them five weeks leading up to the end of April. The reason that it's starting later this year is because the semester itself is starting later. That's one of the reasons why the spring game would be later as well. In the process of this now being into winter conditioning, that means that the new arrivals, the freshmen, uh, the new guys are on campus now. And he got to meet with them for the first time the other night in a meeting. He said three or four of them were – it was the first time he'd ever seen them in person. That's how different this recruiting period had been from previous years. And so, Mac, you know, we kind of – we're looking at a list here of who those guys are, but it's across all the different position groups on offense and defense. You know, Harburg at quarterback is here. Gabe Irvin, the running back. 
Latrell Neville, the wide receiver, tight ends, Carney and Fedoni on the offensive line, all three of the guys, Jaeger and Prochaska at tackle, Lutovsky at guard, and on defense, Raquan Buckley, the D-end, Malcolm at inside linebacker, uh, Randolph Kapai from South Dakota, the inside linebacker, and Marcus Buford at corner. So this spring is going to be fun to watch. We've got all those guys now mm-hmm. added to the mix. We have Honus and Stilly. They've announced that they've been, they're coming back. So, you know, this is going to be a fun spring one. Yeah, and it's a, you know probably a bit of a one-off. I imagine a lot of these kids, just because of the high schools being just as weird as any other part of the world right now, um, not the desire to stay and go to a masked-up prom or whatever the That's heck's going to happen. So who knows how some of these you know spring seasons would have been anyway. So it was, to be expected, a big class of incoming guys or early enrollees. Uh, but, you know, you expect it from a quarterback, you know, maybe a – yeah, transfer something like that. But you you said it right. I mean, we've got wide receivers, tight ends, offensive tackles, DNs, linebackers, corners. So it's it's not that all of those guys are going to be counted on to contribute early, but a couple of those positions definitely. Mm-hmm. Hey, Honk, who out of that group do you think may gain the most out of being here early? Maybe not even just from a playing time perspective early in their careers, but just from a development standpoint. You know, uh, there's always a lot of pressure right now on Verduzco as our quarterback's coach, but yeah. I think a quarterback getting here early, uh, Harbor getting here, the recruit from Kearney, you can't beat that. You know, just to have that extra time to adjust here, but then you're also in the classroom the whole time. You're watching film, you're working out, and you're getting the throws in. I think that's huge on the offensive side. And on the defensive side, uh, I'm really interested to see Buckley, the defensive end, specifically because, you know, on the D-line, if you can get an offseason under your belt, then physically at least you're that much further ahead next season. Now, he's a good example of a year from now. I'm not expecting Buckley to to not redshirt, but he might play all four games. Sure. And those four games, maybe it's later in the season, too, after we've yeah. had a chance to to get him you know, acclimated. And, and who knows at that point? I mean, we're recruiting big guys. He's a big dude already. He's you know, 6'5", 275, something like that. So he's already got a big frame to start with. Right. Give him an offseason, and uh, you know, who knows what he could be doing by the end of year one. Sure. I mean, I, I think of like Ty Robinson as mm-hmm. someone I think was in early, right? And he obviously has contributed in that year two, right? Yep. So you may not see him a lot in, in year one, but because of the extra time, he, he's ready to play in year two. So, hey, uh, is Marquis Step and Samari Torre, is that, are they a part of that group or do they come in in, in soon? Uh, yeah, Dave, they are both going to be available, thank God, for the uh, – the early enrollment and in to take part in that spring ball, which, you know, we all expect transfers to come in and immediately know the entire playbook and be <laughs> humongous contributors. And we've already got them penciled in for, with a uh, Samari for 55 receptions and 700 yards well, easily, you know, and steps going to do what, what Mills could never do and just put up at least 1200 yards rushing. So no, I, I say that tongue in cheek, but it's a humongous benefit to have, Especially, I think, with me, it's step because that running back room is so wide open and we really need somebody to establish himself in there. So, yeah, he is going to be available. We'll get him up to speed and have the winter conditioning, too, to just kind of make sure we knock off any rust that he might have and kind of prepare him for what what the offseason is going to look like for us. Yeah, Frost said tonight, he goes, he still has faith in that young running backs room, but he also likes what step obviously can bring from an experience standpoint. And he did talk about with Torrey, uh, and when referring to FCS guys, they, he said they can really help your football team if you find the right guy, which I guess you can insert that with any recruit, sure. right? They have to be the right guy. But those are two dudes that physically can step into the rooms right away, right. 
and compete with the best that we have in that room. That's the key with bringing in anybody that's a transfer. And then from there, it's it's just as important, honestly, Dave, to your earlier question, it's as, as important for those guys to be here during the offseason as it is for any of the freshmen. Yeah, you know, I mean, speaking of running backs, I mean, Gabe Irvin is also in early, which I think is great because we want to see as much competition in that room as possible. Uh, remind me, did uh, Marvin Scott or Sevian Morrison, any of those guys come in early? I mean, they always seem to get banged up early too, so I just don't know how much – those guys were able to benefit or compete early when they got to campus. No, none of those guys would have been, to your point. What's interesting, though, is think of that running back room in spring ball. It Everyone's there from Irvin and Step, and then the other four that were on the team last year. That seems know. to be really important. I mean, that's a really – it'll be an interesting position to watch in spring because of that. Because yeah. We have two important new names in there. And you're watching the development of the young guys that have been there now for a year plus. Yep. And Frost made reference tonight, too, that they still have a couple of extra scholarships. And, you know, we know Avante Dickerson is still out there potentially for one of those. But also that he mentioned reference that you could go into the portal or some transfers. And the point is, is that what this allows you to do in this spring is go through spring with the roster we have. And having all six running backs there, that's great. And we may end up the semester with all six they might all six of them might come back in the fall and and you know that's your depth chart or one or two of them might find that they are number five and six Mm -hmm. and fall off and we might bring in a transfer at the spot you never know and that applies to any of the positions but you know get those guys out there on the field in spring it's something we really didn't have a chance a lot of teams didn't have a chance a year ago to do and let spring just work out a lot of these position battles and, and questions that we have right now yeah well, so with winter conditioning starting a honk, uh, it sounds like spring ball would start actually sometime in March. Is that about right, I suppose? And then uh, that leads us up to a, a probably maybe the latest spring game that we'll ever have. Yeah, I'm guessing it'll be mid-March would be roughly when spring ball would start and I don't know if they would have a week off in the middle like they've had the last few years with spring break. There won't be a spring break this year, but depending on how they wanted to, you know, split up the spring practices that they have. But you'd want to have it by May 1st. That is later than normal. The most important thing is that we get the guys onto campus here and, you know, we get as full of a roster as we can. I thought it was great. Again, since we last did a show, we weren't sure about Honus and, and Stilly. They both announced, obviously, that they're coming back. And you look at those black shirts in the room. If I'd have told you guys, you know, a month ago that we're going to have Stilly, Honus, you know, Deontay Williams, Dismuke, Doman, and Cam Taylor-Britt. I mean, those are all guys that the option was on the table for them not to be here. It wouldn't have been a shocker if literally all six of them were gone. That wouldn't have been a shocker. And imagine how different this defense would Uh. look without those six. I'm sure we would put a spin on it. I'm sure we would say, hey, you know, it's time for the next guy up. But That's having, what we'd say. <laughs> we would. But having those guys back, man, it feels a lot better. And that helps, you know, that spring ball, getting that defense together, having those guys there, that's going to help out a ton. You know, I've heard a lot of sports shows talk about all the defensive guys coming back, and, and there's nothing but positives, obviously, from this year you know, getting old and staying old by having these guys come back, you add depth um, to that side of the ball. I wonder if this is being blown out of proportion just in the sense of like how many other teams are getting 
extra guys back that would normally would have left, obviously. Uh, now, in, in some cases, you might look at Ohio State and say, like, wow, I mean, they're probably going to lose guys to the NFL anyway. But they're getting a few guys back that you wouldn't normally expect either on both sides of the ball. I'm curious if, you know, Iowa or Wisconsin or Minnesota is also, you know, getting some guys coming back and everybody's going to be older and, and deeper, essentially, uh, going into 2021. Could be. I, I would say defensively, though, just how it happened all on that one side for us. Because, mm-hmm. you know, Farniak left and, and Stoll left and, and, and Mills you know, left. I mean, we. And Hymas. And Hy- oh, yeah, obviously in Hymas. So we clearly lost it on the yeah. offensive side, but the, there's this concentration of defensive players. Now, to your point, Ohio State has Alave and Ruckert at tight end and Mumford on the O line coming back. So they have a share of guys, too. But. I do think what we have on defense is unique. I mean, it's across the board, a bunch of guys coming. Yeah, I guess I don't know about every team. I have seen more Northwestern transfers than I would have expected. And, mm-hmm. you know, guys entering the portal, especially for a team, you know, that, that played for the title again in recent, you know, how many times they've done that in the last, well, two of the last three years. So Anybody from Tennessee transferring? <laughs> right. Close to 20. So, I mean, yes, it, I guess it could be true that other teams are also having good uh, – retention, but I'm glad that we're one of those teams, you know, at yeah. least, at least we're in that group, you know, I certainly wouldn't be, wouldn't want to be the team that is losing a bunch of guys. I mean, offensively, yeah, we're going to take a couple lumps with some of the guys are missing, but I think the staff has done as good as they could to replace the guys that are left with, you know, guys that have produced it at this level or maybe just a level below. So, and you know, <laughs> Kings of the off season, you know, we're, we're doing our best to hold on to the title, but it might just be status quo too. And Dave, I do want to mention we have had uh, later spring games. We have had several on May second. I know in 1947 and 1953 both. Ah, so excellent. Yeah, and we've we have had some on May first as well. So it's not not unheard of for us to have a uh, May May spring games. Yeah, have, have there been any <laughs> in our lifetime, Boomer? Well, we might have a few listeners that were around for some of those. We've got a we reach a broad demographic here on the Go Big Redcast. Oh, that's so true. My knows? mom was alive. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, in our true. lifetime, I'd have to double check, but uh, I'd be surprised if they were that late. Didn't they used to have some that were between the active team and alumni? Yeah. Oh yeah, back in the 1950s when they first started doing spring games again, they they started doing a uh, varsity versus alumni. So you'd, you'd have guys like Ed Weir, you know, come back kicking. You know, he was a coach. At the time, but he'd be kicking for the alumni team, and they actually won one year when he was kicking for them. So that that tells you how quality those varsity teams were in the fifties when they're losing to alumni in slacks. So it was <laughs> interesting stuff. But yeah. you've got mail. Hi, mailman. I can't believe I'm going to be a mailman. What's in the bag? A shark or something? <laughs> All right, thanks to all the Redcasters that send in your uh, your questions to the mailbag. We're going to start off uh, from Juan, and he had a question about with Samari Torre and Xavier Betts presumably being our top two wide receivers going into 2021, who do you believe will be the third option at wideout? Uh, well, thank you, Juan. Um, I appreciate the question. First, I guess I don't know that – I guess we can presume. Let's say let's say we'll presume Samari and, and Xavier Betts are our top two. Yeah, that's probably the first question right yeah, there. Like, Do you I agree don't, with I, that? Yeah, I don't know that I necessarily agree with that. I, I'm 
I'm always wrong on who the starting wide receivers are. I'm like, ideally, I like that. I like that lineup. It just seems like somehow Levi Falk will be number two and somebody else I've never heard of. Well, you also like to see production out of somebody already. Yeah. And technically throwing Torre in there right away, we right. haven't seen him, right? That goes – yeah. I guess that's not a non-negotiable for me. But I just – I've kind of been burned by that a lot. But for the sake of this question, let's say yeah. Um, and then I would probably think – until proven otherwise, Levi Falk or or maybe Oliver Martin. I, I think those would probably be the guys that get marched out first. Now, ideally, man, sure, Omar getting out there, Alante Brown stepping up, that'd be fantastic. But if, if I was to put money on it, it's going to be some blend of Oliver Martin, Levi Falk, and Xavier Betts with a sprinkle of Samari Torrey at first. Yeah, what about Cade Warner? I mean, this guy was a, a captain a year ago, but it did seem by the end of the season, you didn't see him out there as much. Oliver yeah. Martin started getting some Right, and snaps. I mean, Cade was hurt the year prior, but not this year. And But his play diminished uh, quite a bit. So it's a it's a tricky position to call right now. Yeah, it's interesting because you have Alante Brown out there. There's you know there's also Houston, Chris Hickman, Will Nixon's a guy that we haven't thought about, and Latrell Novell, yeah. you know, he's going to be a guy that's going to be here all, during the offseason too. I guess I didn't realize, though, I recently heard that Hickman is now moving back to tight end, which is kind of interesting. You think in that room might be a little stacked, but I think that kind of tells you what the plan is with Fedoni too, is maybe not start him in the tight end room either. So with that being said, if Fedoni's going to play wide receiver, move him up higher on that list. I have actually zero problem pumping that guy up. Well, that leads us right into the second question then. And Dave, I'm going to throw this one to you. It's from man, woman, and child. And it's as simple as Thomas Fedoni, impact on 2021, question mark. Yeah, I think Mac's on the right track there. I think Fedoni has enough versatility and enough speed and um, athletic ability to play multiple receiving positions. I think he probably does line up as a tight end at times, but you can split him out, put him in the slot, do a lot of different things with him. You know, and again, to Mac's point, I mean, Hickman shares some of those characteristics. I'm not saying they're... Same player, but I mean, that versatility is, is coming in a whole different way, right? We talked about not having these hybrid players, but uh, when you are talking about 6'4 guys, 6'5 guys that do have the the speed that you just don't see in a, in a traditional tight end, and you're seeing this more and more in the NFL, and we're seeing that in the playoffs where you have guys like Travis Kelsey be so um, such a focal point of those offenses. Uh, Fedoni fits that, and so you know, he'll you know, get bigger as he develops in the program. But yeah, I could see him playing out in the the wide receiver spot. And, and in that sense, I think he's going to get a lot of snaps and he's going to get catches. I, I don't know how much, but I think he is an instant impact player. Well, good questions there. Uh, next one comes from Ulmer. And uh, we're going to kind of go around the room with this one. I'll start with you, Boomer. He said, I listened to ESPN radio today and they did a segment on who in sports would you pardon? I'm guessing they were probably talking about the inauguration here, right? And apply that thought to Husker football. And who is someone within Husker football or maybe an opponent that we've had that you would pardon and why? Ooh, boy, that's a interesting question there. You know, my initial thought would be go back to the Nebraska Athletic Board in 1915 that let uh, Ewald O. Steam get away because they were too cheap to ship the team out to the Rose Bowl and give him a $500, $750 raise that he requested and uh, let our greatest coach go of all time, and we haven't won the Big Ten since. 
Okay. But, uh, you know, then I thought about what the, the point of the pardon power is, and I went back to Alexander Hamilton in Federalist 74, and the principal argument for uh, reposing the power of pardoning is, Jeez. in seasons of insurrection or rebellion, there's critical moments when an offer of pardon may restore the tranquility of the Commonwealth. So I thought about that and this nature of Nebraska football and what we've been, we kind of have been in this period of rebellion and insurrection, fan bases kind of at each other's throats, and we've been for a while. And I thought about the options there. Honky, you mentioned Steve Peterson. I can't pardon him either. He's, nope. yeah. So I, I had to let him slide. But I would say yeah, what we can do going forward, pardon everybody involved in the Eichhorst, Riley, Bo trilogy. Yeah, that triumvirate. Pardon those three. Put all that behind us. Wipe that slate clean. Start fresh. You know, we're, we're taking the Lincoln approach and knitting the nation back together here. That that That's my choice. Okay. <laughs> Dave, follow that. <laughs> well, that was well thought out. Uh, I don't know if I can quite top that. And I, I, it kind of depends on what you consider a crime against Husker Nation, right? Mm-hmm. I guess you could easily pardon the um, Solich's 7-7 seven and seven year, potentially, right? I mean, though, is that a crime against Husker Nation? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. May, maybe uh, Bill Callahan is deserving of a pardon, right? You know, I mean, obviously I had... Um, a rough start and a rough end, but he did deliver two winning seasons and, and recruited really well. That ultimately uh, has had some of our best teams um, in the last twenty years. Uh, really made up of Callahan era players. So I'm gonna I'm gonna pardon Bill Callahan. Bill Callahan. All right, Mac. How about you? I would pardon uh, Byron Bennett, the field goal kicker who nice. uh, missed that late field goal against uh, Florida State. When that could have been To's first uh, national championship, one because it I, I really really think that springboarded us into the next you know five six years of insane success and you know field goal kickers get too much put at their feet sometimes I guess that was probably a bad pun but you know <laughs> I, I I remember reading an article not so long ago about how bad he felt about it and you know you don't need to feel that way anymore but you've you've been pardoned. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, thanks uh, for the question there, Omer. And uh, the last one is from Richard Fitzwell. Which position groups are you most confident, content, and concerned with heading into the 2021 season? thought it would be easiest to break this down give each one of you guys one of these. So, Dave, I'll start with you with confident. Which group are you most confident in? Yeah, that's that's a good question. I like, like how that's been posed. Well, we mentioned all the returning defensive players, so I think – since I'm getting the uh, first crack at this, I, and, and confident is what we're talking about, I'll go with the secondary. Uh, it's hard not to be confident with uh, Cam Taylor-Britt and your returning safeties. You do need a fill uh, decap spot over there, but we do have some likely candidates between Quentin Newsom or Miles Farmer um, and some depth potentially in safety. So I'll, I'll go uh, secondary. Mac, how about you for content? I'm sticking with the defense. I'll go the defensive line. I'm content with them right now. Um, just, you know, like with a bullet, I think they could get better. But I'm content with where they are. Yeah, I mean, there's not a huge pass rusher out of it and everything, but they have they can get apply enough pressure. They've been good against the run. Not unbelievable, yeah. but good against it. I could have it. said the same thing about linebackers with just maybe the exception of one good outside linebacker rush. But I don't know. I mean, it, it's a it's a coin flip on those two for me. Mac, you know, talking transfer portal, uh, I saw Sylvester, the guy that I was at Baylor 
um, six five guy, supposed to be an edge rusher. You think yeah. we have any shot? I mean, is that another another opportunity to to win the transfer portal with someone like that? It's it's our mo, Dave. That's what we do. So <laughs> win the off season. <laughs> yeah. Maybe he's not aware of our game, but yeah, if we could bring on somebody like that, you know, we've got some we've got some project guys in the in the mix, but no, no one's really that proven. So man, him or maybe one of the uh, defecting Tennessee. <laughs> a platoon of people coming out. They may be looking for second payments, though. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. I'm concerned about you know if you go after a team's recruits that were all there because of violations. Are those really the recruits you want? Yeah, I, I would mean, stay it's, clear it's tough. That. I'm sure they'll probably find homes in the SEC just fine. Yeah, if they come here, I'll certainly support them, though. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'll give mine for content, and for me, I'd say it's quarterback right now. I mean, to have Martinez Whoa. back and, you know, obviously we, we like what we have with Smothers as a young guy. I'm curious what happens with Luke. Does he stay at QB? Does he move to a, a another skill spot? Does he get involved with special teams? I mean, he has a ridiculous amount of speed, but I can't see him getting more PT next year if Martinez takes control of the room. I mean, there's good players there, but it's certainly not great. And content seems to be about that where I'm at. And then you add Harburg into the mix in spring. That's an interesting room. Yeah. Uh, as far as concerned, Boomer, uh, you're, you're our curmudgeon, the yeah. old curmudgeon on the, on the it's red cast. So, house. you know, what are you most concerned about? I have a guess. I'd hate to be accused of, uh, you know, flogging a necrotic equine here, but uh, <laughs> it, you've got to be concerned about special teams, especially that whole group is in kind of some turmoil. You know, we let Rutledge go. He had comments about the difficulty of trying to be an analyst and applying what he knew to the field, you know, trying to filter it through assistant coaches to get players to understand what he wanted it to do. You know, Frost mentioned it in the conference today that they're still looking for the right guy to go in there. So that's all up in the air, and that was a huge weakness of the program. Everyone knows it. And Frost himself said, you know, if special teams were better this last year, you might win a couple other games. You know, we've got a we've got the position posted for another analyst position. So if you're anyway or listeners are interested in applying, go ahead and check out the uh, UNL website. I think starting salary is one hundred fifty thousand dollars a year, so you might be able to make that work. You know, you've got a lot of questions there. Uh, the punt return game was okay, but punt coverage this last year was terrible. That, that was a huge weakness. You know, gave up way too many yards on that. Field goal kicking was good. Punting was terrible. You know, there were injuries and in punters, but we've seemingly had that for years. Our kickers just get hurt in the most freakish accidents. You've got to be concerned about it. I mean, it costs us games, and we don't know where we're at at it. Frost said tonight on Sports Nightly that, you know, they were looking in a different direction and sounds like going the analyst route again. Now, there was audio that we were listening to, and it was Urban Meyer and the level of attention that he was giving to special teams. I would always know if the head coach was involved in special teams. For example, if the head coach is always in kickoff, then that I would always know. And I had a get-back coach always tell me where he's at. So if you're the coach at Michigan State, you're the coach I'm playing against you, and I see him, look at Coach Day. He's right here. Right. And I would be over here staring right at him, or I have someone always watch tell me where that head coach is at. If he's normally not involved in kickoff and I see him there, I'm calling timeout. Or I'm giving some signal saying, wait a minute, why is he there? I've done that many times on punt. So a head coach, and I won't give you the name, some of them don't never watch special teams. Right. And if I ever saw that, and it happened about three or four times, I see him watching close, I always had a hand signal, say, we're going to punt safe, they're running a fake. And so that's just something for the viewer to watch as well. If you see so, the head coach, 
knee deep and paying attention on kickoff, and he's never done that before, you should know that as a coach. Now you hear something like that from Meyer and the, the level of attention that he took as the head coach towards it. Do you feel that that is something that Frost still isn't doing? Or do you, you know, does he need to give that the level of attention that Meyer did? I mean, does he just need to put a coordinator at it? I mean, how much attention needs to be given to that side of the ball? Well, when it's a glaring weakness of your program, I mean, if that's costing you two wins a year, I mean, think of how different this program feels if you win two extra games a year the last three years. Yeah. I mean, that's a total different feel. Everyone knows it's a weakness, so you mm-hmm. should be focusing on that. You know, I've always liked Urban Meyer's approach to special teams. He talks it up every chance he gets. At Ohio State, if you wanted to start on any of the other sides of the ball, you had to start playing on special teams. So guys like Ezekiel Elliott and Chris Olave also all time on special teams. He put mm-hmm. good players there when you had them. You have to start there. And it was a great chance for players that want to make a, a name for themselves to get in there. It's it's a huge part of the game. It, it's not glamorous, always. It's not fun, necessarily. No one likes to talk punting stats or things like that. But it's critical to games. And if you know it's a weakness, you need to focus on it. I think you brought up a very good point there, Boomer. Frost said tonight that it has cost us two, three, four games over the course of the years. And to your point there, replace special teams with any other position group. If I said... Defensive backs cost us two, three, four games. If I said offensive line cost us two, three, four games, do you think that there would be some kind of change, you know, because of that? You know, with special teams, are you concerned that the changes don't match the depth of the issues that we're seeing? Well, it hasn't fully played itself out yet. We don't know exactly where they're going with this. There's always the possibility they might shuffle it around, make it a the special teams coordinator role, or mm-hmm. slide people around. So there's still time for that to change. So we can see what happens with that. I'd like to see us have a full season of healthy kickers, You know, both on the punting side, get our, get our Australian kangaroo kickers in there. We can see what they do for teams like Rutgers yep. and, and Culp. Focusing on kickoffs more this year, see if he can drive a few more out of the end zone. We got the field goal side of it down, so that you know isn't as worrisome. Boomer, we've added a Meyer to the roster, though, right? Maybe that's the solution. Yeah, maybe that's the key that we needed. Yeah, you got Meyer with special teams, so that it, it's bound to happen. Again, the math checks that's, out. Uh, Kellen Meyer, a walk-on kicker for more, not Urban Meyer, well, but they're probably related. I'm sure. Don't you think a lot of this just could be solved with a good punter? I mean, we make a lot out of this, but if you just had a really good punter or average punter that kicked it where you told him to with good hang time and the coverage team was allowed to get down there, and that said punter could also kick the ball out of the end zone on kickoffs. Which, that could be Cerny. Wouldn't that erase a lot, especially if we maintain the field goal kicking that we have? I mean, I, I get it. Everybody wants <laughs> everybody wants a special teams coordinator until that special teams coordinator is Bruce Reed. <laughs> and then we want to go, and then we want to delegate it to other staff, or then we want to do the analyst route. There's probably a couple ways to skin a cat here, but I often, you know, we like to we like to chew on this one bone really hard and make sure that because everybody's got an opinion about this. I just think you know we've had some rotten, rotten luck with our with our kicker health. I mean, that's the mystery. Let's well, solve that mystery. Let's stop. Let's wrap these dudes in bubble wrap the moment they get to campus. They're not even supposed to be getting hit. That's certainly one half of the special teams mix. Is if you have Cerny, your scholarship punter, and he's punting next year for us. And our punting game is be, is improved because of that. If Meyer, the walk-on from Ward, who kicked a 58-yard field goal, it, he doesn't need to be our kicker because the Boomer's point, Culp is coming back as an all-conference kicker. But if Meyer has a big leg and can kick off and do touchbacks 
and that's all he focuses on next year. I'm just throwing that out there. Let's say that's his role, and he comes in and kicks touchbacks, then that's a role we didn't have. But on kickoff return and punt return, that's where those guys don't matter. And that is where I think from a, a scheme standpoint, we had punt But teams. if it was just down to those two things. But, but what I'm getting at is that all adds up to our lack of field position that we had against teams. Or it's directly led to points when teams are returning kickoffs against us or they're extending drives by having punters fake and run against us. And it also goes right against what Urban Meyer said in that audio clip. He was referring there to uh, being on the punt return. Where, you know, if I see the opposing coach, he's looking like he's going to do a fake. That's where I'm calling, you know, punt safe and all that. Do we have, again, Frost doesn't have to be that guy. I'm not saying Frost needs to be what Meyer was in that case. It's just that our team needs someone dedicated to that. Now, the one thing about analysts, as far as I'm aware, they can't be on the sideline. They can't be coaching. I, I don't believe. Are they not allowed cell phones? Can they not call in and go, hey, uh, no, wrong. Yeah, I don't believe that uh, analysts are allowed on the sideline. They're not allowed to engage in active coaching and things like that. Um, you know, grad assistants can be down there. Those are the ones you often see holding up cards and signaling plays and things like that. But uh, you know, my understanding is analysts, you know, aren't really allowed direct contact with players. And I think you'd be running afoul of a lot of questions if you're hanging out on the sideline, you know, during a game or during a practice. So that's my understanding anyway. $150,000 a year and Saturdays off is what you're saying. That's that job. <laughs> well, you might be up in a booth having a Runza or a hot dog or something Yeah, like exactly, that. where yeah. they cater food. Yeah. I'll, I will take half of that. I will take half of that and be there. <laughs> uh, you know, this reminds me of the whole conversation of uh, Jonathan Rutledge and was he the uh, first choice, right, for that position. I think, you know, understanding is that uh, Sean Snyder, uh, K-State, um Special teams coach was a front runner for that position. And I think there was an article a couple weeks ago where Bill Snyder, his father, mentioned that Clay Helton, the USC coach, asked him to really um, push Sean to you know, consider USC over Nebraska. Nebraska was just an analyst position. USC actually had a full-time uh, coaching gig for uh, Sean. And if you look at USC's numbers, they did improve this year. They obviously had a very abbreviated season out there in the West Coast, but um, USC's special teams got better um, with a full-time coach who has a, a reputation of producing good special teams. So it, it could be a solution is really giving it the attention with the right coaching change. I think that combination of the right attention, whether that is making him a coordinator or however that is. And then a little bit of luck, too, with the yeah. the kickers. I mean, my gosh, our punters have been, you know, like the, the drummer for Spinal Tap. It's just been one thing after another. And, and so if we can just get some consistency there. I mean, it took me a minute and, on that reference. Well, and we've, and we, I feel like that was good. I feel like we do have the legs right now in the program. You know, Cerny, I haven't seen him punt, but I mean, all the talk of all the guys that come from Australia, I mean, I feel like, you know, I, I feel like I've seen a lot of punters be able to do what our punters never do. So <laughs> they exist. It's not, yeah. And between Meyer and then with what Culp did last yeah. year, which I mean, I think shocked all of us. I mean, Culp had a great season. That's a good place to start. Yeah. And then, you know, you look down at the at the roster breakdown of all of our scholarship guys. We have 21 scholarship linebackers. You know, we have 13 defensive backs, 34 guys that come out of that back seven on defense that are all scholarship. And that's where you find a lot of guys that end up on special teams. Yep. We have plenty of bodies to choose from. We have to find that right mix. Yeah. And I think sometimes you need to get that all-conference, you know, Cam Taylor Britt on the field, and maybe the guy next to him might be the – the incoming freshman, but we got to get the talent out there, coach them up, all that good stuff. 
and I think the Urban Meyer audio, I just thought it was interesting and, and wanted to add it because that was the level of the detail and attention that he put to it. And whether it's an analyst or a coordinator or the head coach, the idea is that somebody needs to be doing on the sideline what he was doing. Yeah, what we've been seeing is not going to get it done. That's the bottom line. Fix it. Yep, fix it. And we can start to get two or three more of those wins that Frost has referenced. Which we're going to need next year, right? There's no doubt if we're going to get to six wins, we need to have all three facets of uh, the team working. Uh, you know, before we get to parting shots, Honk, we had some fun on, on Twitter, uh, thanks to a uh, Dirk Chatteling, uh article, right, about um, playing cold weather games against SEC. And you want to take a dive into that? Yeah, I just thought it was really interesting. Then he ended up writing an article out of it. But we kind of ran with that on Saturday night on Twitter and had a lot of response from it. You know, Dr. Rob Zaska, Sean Callahan, Husker Online responded, Jack Mitchell, Adam Kruger, Channel 3 in Omaha. A bunch of guys responded. And it simply was, what is the coldest game you've ever attended? Uh, now, on our side, Boomer, I know you responded at the time. You said 2006 NUOU Big 12 championship game. But you also had another one, didn't you? Yeah, that one was bitterly cold, and the other one would have been the very first Husker game I ever attended. Uh, when my brother was in college, he brought me to a game. Pretty sure it was the 91 Nebraska-Oklahoma game. It was after Thanksgiving. It was freezing rain. Man, that was pretty freaking miserable, too. Uh, either one. I mean, at least the game was good that time as opposed to Kansas City, which was just dismal. Yeah. So, yeah. And the plus side to Kansas City, I was able to smuggle in flasks or something that helped, you know, that <laughs> scenario. In 91, I couldn't quite do that. So, yeah. I remember the 91 game. Johnny Mitchell had a huge game. He had like seven catches. I was looking it up the other night. Oh, yeah. 140 some mm. yards. I mean, that was back when we didn't pass. Yeah. Um, for me, I go a couple years later, 1993, Nebraska, Oklahoma, and a, a buddy of mine, Brzezinski, uh, Jason, he and I went there. And we had great seats. I mean, we were like three rows up at the 50-yard line right behind the Huskers bench. It was brutal. I had three pairs of socks on and, you know, the waterproof shoes and all that. And it was still – I thought I was going to catch frostbite. And it was horrible out. But um, And that was the game that Trev Alberts hurt his uh, elbow. Oh, oh yeah. that, And okay. I had a pretty right. decent angle of that injury too, which was awful. But you know what? I didn't get Max or Dave's that night. So, uh, Mac, what for you? What's one of the coldest games? It could be a Husker one. It could be a high school game we played in. Whatever. For me, it was the it was the 2006 Big 12 championship game. KC. They didn't they didn't scoop the stadium. Like the all the snow was right by the sea. So you're standing in snow. Yeah, you were ankle deep tailgating in snow. That was miserable. Like your feet were just freezing. I had long johns on. My wife uh, bought me long johns for that. And that was fantastic, except from the, you know, my feet were just, well, once they went numb, it was fine. But for the <laughs> first, you know, part of the game, it was just misery. But Boomer, I also had a little bit of a hot chocolate and peppermint schnapps, you know, which I don't do enough. Quite frankly, I need to do that more in the, in the winter time. It's uh-huh. such a fantastic drink. I went straight brandy, so I went old man style. <laughs> Well, you know, we had uh, Amy from Montana, one of our followers and good friend of mine from uh, college. She refer- uh, responded to it, and you were talking about having snow in the stands. And she said uh, uh, one of the Colorado games that she went to in Boulder where they didn't scoop anything, and you were just sitting in snow, and she was miserable the whole time. And, and actually, Dr. Rob Zaska, he wrote the 91 Buffs game in Boulder, and that was the, the snowball game. Um, speaking of Colorado, Dave, you live out there. What? How about you? What's one of the coldest ones you've been to? Yeah, no, this is a, I, I enjoyed the question. I, I don't think I've ever really f- been to a, a really cold game. 
at least to the point where I felt I was so miserable. I remember my very first Nebraska game was an Oklahoma-Nebraska game in the mid-'80s. It was cold. It was after Thanksgiving. I remember going to the Colorado game, 89 Colorado game was was rainy, I believe. The Michigan State game that you and I went to hockey up in uh, East Lansing was not fun. 2014, brutal. Yeah, and I went to an Iowa State game in the early 90s where it was, again, kind of wet and miserable. What I would say is, you know, typically the most unenjoyable cold weather games are the ones that you didn't expect, right? And you didn't weren't able to prepare for, right? And mm-hmm. My experience on that is out here in Colorado, um, Colorado Rockies games, baseball games, sometimes early in the season or late in the season can be freezing and you're not really, it's a baseball game, so you don't, don't want to dress too warmly, right, for that. Mm-hmm. So uh, I've, I've been in the stands, freeze my butt off. I just uh, I haven't had too many miserable Nebraska games. Yeah. Well, I have one sneaky one for you, Dave, that you and I went to, and it was the weekend of uh, the Nebraska-Ohio State game in 2016. On Thursday night, I came down early, and we went up to Boulder and watched UCLA-Colorado. And Again, kind of to uh, Amy and Montana's point, they just didn't shovel anything. So I remember it wasn't that it was that cold out, but there was snow in the stands. And I remember my feet got cold because I wasn't wearing a bunch of socks and I didn't prepare properly. And just being in the area where there was a bunch of snow and and around me, I just remember you kind of get chilly early in the day and you just that doesn't go away. You don't just magically warm up. Well, and, you know, unless you're drinking like, you know, hot cocoa with Kahluan or something like. I, I'm not a guy mm, that can drink like. That's a good choice. Why well, don't drink beer and get warmer? Like some guys are like, no, oh, I'm just gonna just go drink a bunch of yeah. bunch of beer. I'm like, what cold beer is? That's not gonna warm me up it's if I'm already cold. It's not a good recipe. Fireball helps. That and well, we like did, whiskey makes you warm. But I not think we cold did. Beer. I think we did do some fireball there. But back to Dirk's article because I don't know if he wrote something because we. <laughs> Because of the response he got from us, because he was tagged on ours. So he was getting all kinds of responses the rest of that night. But he wrote a really good article about if the Big Ten wants titles, make those SEC teams come and play in the cold. And, of course, he wrote that kind of over the course of the weekend when you're seeing Kansas City and Buffalo in the pros playing these home games. The NFL knows how to highlight cold games. And you have, you know, the frozen tundra. San Diego way back in the day I had to go and play at Cincinnati one time back you know when Fouts was there and famous cold games but you know you look at the bowl games and Boomer we've talked about this forever and as Husker fans how many times would we go down and play Miami in the Orange Bowl and Florida State in the Orange Bowl how different would some of those games be if they were playing up in Lincoln and uh, I don't know I just it was interesting to me especially now that we're in the, the playoff era of college football and that certainly isn't getting any closer to the north Mm-mm. Yeah, that's always been a, a big question for me when it comes to this sort of stuff. You hear people say that, oh, well, we need to, you know, remove weather as a factor for these sorts of games, you know, and, and it always emphasizes the cold and wind and, and winter weather aspect of it. But then you'll see at the beginning of seasons, people always say, oh, well, these non-conference games that always mysteriously are played in like neutral Atlanta or New Orleans or things like that, people always say, well... Oregon's coming down here. How are they going to handle this heat and humidity in in late August, early September? I I never understand why that weather, that weather extreme is acceptable and winter weather is not. I mean, football, for most of its history, was a northern type sport. You know, it was dominated in the NFL and it still is in many cases by northern teams. You're going to play in cold weather. Yep. Football's insistence on this all has to be in climate controlled, hot warm kind of stadiums or or domes that's never made a lot of sense to me and especially for players that are going to go to the pros 
I mean, look at the look at the teams in the NFL that are that are successful. They're northern teams. You're going to play in the cold in the NFL. You need to get used to that, and we should push that more. I don't understand why the Big Ten doesn't do that. And I, I'll hear people argue that, well, we need to remove that weather element, you know, because we just want the sport to be, you know, as pure as it can be. Well, if that's your argument, then why play in front of fans? Because or you're going to have a fan advantage, you know, in some places. That, that distracts from the actual pure sport aspect of it. Just playing at a neutral site with nobody in the building, and then you get the pure sport as it is. I kind of get it for, for like, bowl games, you know, as a reward to the players, you know, you, you, that kind of environment and going down and seeing a beach or an ocean front or something like that. But in the era of playoffs, when these games are supposed to matter and advance you, that, that really kind of takes that argument out of it. Now it's kind of the business of winning a playoff game and you need to advance, so... There really isn't any good reason that this these can't be played up north, and I, for one, welcome it. Yeah, I mean, I think a reward would be you get to play at home. If you're a north team, if you're you know Ohio State, anyone, anyone up here, if I could have— Mostly Ohio State, though. Well, <laughs> if I could have Alabama come up here, I mean, in Dirk's article, I think he wrote about how Bama hadn't played a game in freezing conditions since the 90s. Yeah, 98, I think, yeah. That's, that's, that's when they insane. played Georgia that year, right? Wasn't that in the 90s, too? <laughs> 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 Good point, Mac. If it's about a reward, you know, I think I was watching Green Bay, and on the sideline, Aaron Rodgers was talking to somebody, and they kind of caught him just saying, like, this is going to be our first NFC championship in Lambeau, and he was saying it really excited. Now, this is a California guy talking about that. You know, he's not from Green Bay originally, but the reward to him was we get to play in Lambeau for a championship game. And I guess I would like to think the same thing would be, you know, Nebraska, we get to that playoff level, right? Yeah. And here we are, we're in our first playoff game. And instead of going and playing in the Poland Weed Eater Bowl or whatever the heck it's called, we would have somebody coming up to Lincoln. And it was one of those SEC teams. It was one of those Southern teams that we have to go down and play, you know, for so many years. I think that would be a reward. Yeah, I don't remember many games being memorialized based on you know, perfect conditions, you know. But mm-hmm. you, you hear about the those games in the like in a blizzard or in the fog or you know like something like that like it's magical in the snow i mean that and it and college football does have that element to it for the northern teams but the southern teams never have that and i don't i didn't even think it's southern fans that would hate that i think some you know some of those sec teams would really get a kick out of like the fans at least coming up for a freezing cold game watching it you know drinking your schnapps and and you know having to bundle up and watch a great game it's fun well we say that's why we have stories about this is why we remember these games is because there was a there, mm-hmm. you know you're, you're sharing some misery at the same time you're sharing some joy <laughs> i mean that's that makes it memorable well we say that we think the sec fans would enjoy that but they don't know that any more than, than we do here right boomer i mean like the sec adds mizzou to the conference now you have a northern team and who magically is the teams that play in columbia every year come november well, it's always, you know, like your Arkansas or Vanderbilts. It's very rarely Alabama and, and Georgia. Florida. And like and it. Yeah, Florida. It's strange how that never happens. Yeah, because they know how to schedule. <laughs> well, that's true. Yeah. They did have Georgia up at Missouri late this year, and uh, Georgia took care of business. That was probably uh, the coldest Georgia game they've played um, since the 90s, I would guess. <laughs> All right, guys, good stuff. Let's, uh, let's get out of here with some parting shots. Uh, we'll start with uh, Boomer tonight. Well, my parting shot tonight kind of goes out to uh, Nebraska men's basketball. It's been a rough year, you know, with just 
the challenges they faced, you know, trying to put a team together and the Big Ten being as tough as it is. And then now with the recent bouts of COVID, you know, you've got players testing positive, especially, you know, head coach Fred Hoiberg, who's had heart issues. And, you know, we've heard talk about, you know, the effects COVID can have on people's heart and conditions with that. So just hoping everything goes well for everybody involved. You guys can get healthy again, get a few more games in this year, and just hoping for the best for all of you. Yeah, well said, Boomer. Well said, absolutely. All right, Mac. I don't have much of a parting shot, but for all the uh, incoming freshmen that are going to be tuning in to their first Redcast uh, as soon as they get acclimated to Lincoln, sure, yeah. I just want to welcome you all here and invite you to come on the show whenever you feel like it. You can hit us up on Twitter anytime you'd like to. Can't wait to see you guys contribute on the field. I think we are in their welcoming packet, right? The three-man yeah. binder, you know? Yeah. Open it up. Oh, Redcast. I got you. <laughs> how, how do we figure that they, out? They, they can't contact us directly, but that's not the point. On Twitter? <laughs> <laughs> We'd have to go through the proper channels, Mac, but that's <laughs> that's what you say. <laughs> Jeremy Pruitt agrees, so that's right. yeah, believe me, they'll be if I hand them a McDonald's bag, it'll be a McRib. Okay, there'll be no money. <laughs> that's, that's a, the one thing guaranteed from the Redcast, there's no money. <laughs> Uh, speaking of hockey, <laughs> well, you know, Brett Siancia, we love the guy, Pick 6 Previews. Uh, Mac, we'll be talking with him next next month here. Uh, he sent out a great tweet about uh, right now in basketball, and, and Dave is a big North Carolina fan aside from being a Husker fan. And last week, Duke, Kentucky, and North Carolina all finished unranked in that week's AP poll. The last time that happened, Dave, do you know when the last time that was? All of them. Boy, no, I sure don't. It's been probably a long time. Today we had an inauguration of a new president, so pick who the president was the last time that that happened. I'll go Gerald Ford. (laughs) Oh, you even have to go further back. 1961, JFK would have have been the president then. That's Um, interesting. Last time we had a Catholic president, too. Oh, there you go. That's interesting. Um, And then he followed up and he goes, that's crazy, but can you imagine if Michigan, Nebraska, Tennessee, Penn State, and Florida State all finished with losing seasons in football? Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Not funny. Yeah, that cuts deep, Brett. That cuts deep. Not not funny, Brett. Well, at least we're not alone, right? (laughs) That's That's right. right. Misery loves company. That's right. Although, come on, McDonald's, like, I mean, you're down there, like, maybe Zaxby's or something, but come on, you're giving them McDonald's bags? (laughs) Chick-fil-A something, what is it? I mean, at least a kid's meal was inside it? I don't know. (laughs) By the way, the McRib is not back anymore, so it'll probably not be a McRib. But they do have the best Diet Coke, really, though, if you're going to get it. They got the best Coke, period. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, if you're in Lincoln, the McDonald's on Cornhusker, 10th and Cornhusker, that is the McDonald's of choice in Lincoln. They never disappoint (laughs) It's the filtered water is what I hear makes the uh, the soda so well. I, I do remember uh, sitting in um, a Boomer and our buddy Travis's dorm room in the 10th floor, top floor of Harper, <laughs> and Honky looking out and saying you could see like five McDonald's all of a sudden, <laughs> and him being so impressed by it. I mean, coming from Columbus, five McDonald's. There were five. I could see them all. They're like the one on 856 in Cornusker, the airport, 10th in Cornusker. I think there's another one at least. Yeah, it was really impressive. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, very cultured, um, worldly man, Honky was, especially at 18. He's got a yeah. developed palate. Yeah, <laughs> that McDonald's on Cornhusker had a buffet for a while too. Yeah, oh, it was the, yeah, yeah. It was the two I forgot all about that. Yeah, they did. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Man, Dave, um, get, get us right, out of yeah, here. It's time to get out of yeah, here. Because I have more right. stories about that McDonald's I'd rather not get into. <laughs> For now, let's call that a Go Big Redcast. Go Big Red. Here we are. Huda Media Production.